Welcome to the Morty Vicar podcast from B&A Church in Bristol with James Stevenson and Wayne Massey. We're sat in Wayne's garden. It's a lovely sunny day. You can probably hear the breeze gently blowing through the leaves of the trees. And in... it's, it's not a bad looking garden. Somebody earlier on today came to visit Wendy, my wife, for coffee and they complimented me on, on my garden, which actually made my day. Excellent. The lupins are coming out, the hollyhocks, not so much. You, I'm, you're already looking bored, James. I'm already looking bored. <laughs> Give uh, me some gravel and, and a lawn and I'll be fine. Um, oh, you can take the man from Guildford. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we are, to continue using horticultural terminology, we're grasping a nettle, aren't we, Wayne? Yes, we're going to have a go at um, one of the, I think one of the biggest nettles in culture, James, which is? Transgender issues. Okay. So everyone's taking a deep breath. Yeah. So if you so 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 you don't have to travel pretty much far into any week where there is it feels like there's some item of news yeah. around this. So the most recent one, uh, I can't remember her name, but the New Zealand Olympic team have picked a 43-year-old transgender woman to represent them in the um, heavyweight division of the weightlifting at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, they have. And this is really interesting around identity politics. They've, they've had to drop from the team a 21-year-old woman from an ethnic minority who right. has spent you know, the last 10 years of her life training and working up to going to the Olympics and now has lost her place to um, a transgender woman. And it, it's caused a bit of uh, furore, so the Samoans aren't happy because at the last Pacific Games, their weightlifter came second to the New Zealander and uh, and they've said that it's they said that even though um, he is transitioned to she and has the you know the, the twelve months of testosterone yeah. reducing drugs and all that kind of thing, um, that she or he she still has um, an advantage because of the muscle mass that um, her sex her male sex yeah. will give her and having been through male puberty. There's a group called Australasian Women in Sports who are. Um, uh, against this because they're saying that actually, you know, whilst, you know, there's a reason that men and women's sports are different and that the science on um, what happens when somebody transitions and takes testosterone reducers uh, doesn't seem to indicate that a levelling. Um, yeah. And you're dealing with bigger yeah. hearts, different muscle mass, stronger, stronger skeletons, yeah. you know. Um, that's the male. It's, it's women make better gymnasts because they're more flexible, yeah. you know. So, so they're saying that is part of the whole cancel culture. So someone like Sharon Davies, the swimmer in the UK, yeah. um, is being cancelled by a whole load of people because she is against uh, transgender women represent, you know, taking full participation yeah. in women's sport. The so International Rugby Board has got into trouble for this because yeah. their scientific report says that transgender women shouldn't play rugby against people who were born as women because, yeah. again, the muscle mass makes a big difference. Um, and so it just seems to be there all the time. And I, if you're anything like me, you probably don't quite know what to think or how to think or where to begin thinking. Yeah, so we've one. got a clashing culture going on between a permissive approach to sexuality and gender and feminism. So that, that's one, one of the things. J.K. Rowling's been somebody who's experienced a similar um, response Jermaine Greer. to, um, to um, Sharon Davies. So, so th- that is one place where it flares up. Um, we've got the medical ethics as well as the, the kind of sporting mm-hmm. ethics. We've got the medical ethics around puberty blockers. That's in the news this week around um, whether teenagers should be allowed to um, choose to have puberty blockers. So a uh, so professor of psychiatry 
speaking on this kind of very issue, said that we are conducting the world's largest uh, experiment using drugs on a generation of people, and it's being conducted without any control yeah. and without any con- any sense of what the long-term effects might be. Yeah, um, that was a, that's a, that's a that, you know it's a professor of medicine, and, and so then it will play itself out in um, teenage ethics around how um, schools will um, divide children up in their genders, in learning, sporting, all sorts. So that there's a there's the clash that happens at a um, sporting level. There's the there's the medical ethics. There's the educational. Um, dilemmas that this presents and then there's the issue of um, the terminology of transphobia phobia is a fear so if I have arachnophobia I'm I'm, I'm afraid of um, spiders Um, if I have homophobia I'm I'm expressing fear of people who are um, same sex attracted and if I am transphobic I am afraid of those who are transgendered um, but what is uh, coming out is that this, this term is being used as a way of describing people who disagree with transgender ethics what people are saying is there's a difference between um, disagreeing with something and being afraid of something. So let's start so, so, so if you're listening to us and, uh, and you are a follower of Jesus or you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're wondering well, well how would Christians, how should they respond to this what should they think Uh, I think the starting point has always got to be that actually God loves us Mm. with a radical yeah inclusive never stopping love yes Um, that is that is the gospel of grace is that God so loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life so no matter who you are and no matter what you think no matter how you live your life you are loved by God. So much so that in the person of Jesus, he came to die to bring you back to him. Yes. So nobody is beyond the love of God and nobody is judged any less worthy of finding any home in the church or in the kingdom of God based on what their lives have looked like, what has happened to them or what they've done. That is, that is the starting point always, is actually that the kingdom of God is radically inclusive. Everybody is invited. Everybody is welcome at the table. You know, t- the table of the king. He wants everybody to join him there. You know, we've we've got parables about wedding feasts where people don't turn up, and and the master sends the servants into the lanes and says, "Just find whoever will come." Everything we do, whenever we talk about people, or whenever we talk about anything, we've got to start with the fact that God is love. The second thing, though, and this is the bit where I think sometimes we forget, is that also that our world is broken and fallen. Yes. So for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so therefore, whenever we begin to talk about stuff, any form of ethic, any form of behaviour, any form of seeing the world or understanding others, is that we have to recognise that we live in a fallen world that is under the curse of sin, which is why Jesus had to come. Yeah. Uh, and that all of us, without sign Jesus, are lost, um, and all of us need his saving help. Um, and so therefore, when we begin to apply stuff and we begin to talk about things and that... And we might say these do line up with kingdom values or these do not line up with kingdom values. It's yeah. always in the context that we are all radically loved by God and that we have all fallen short of that, the glory that God has designed us for. Um, but that in Jesus, he's won a way for us all to come back to him. And what that does is it should create in my heart a sense of humbleness. 
a humble attitude when I speak to somebody who disagrees with me on an ethical issue. Or it should create a humble attitude when I speak about, you know, when I as a married man with kids speak about sexual ethics, I should understand that my sexual uh, likes, preferences, all that kind of thing are as broken as anybody else's. Mm. Um, it, it humbles me to know I needed Jesus as much as you do. Um, and then we, enter, we then enter into conversations about what God has revealed about how the world is and the way mm. it's, he's designed it in the light of that. Make sense? It does. It may not make sense to people listening, but hopefully it will make more sense as we, as we tease this out. So because of humanity's sin, um, whatever age you look at, whatever culture you're in, there's going to be brokenness. And that brokenness will play itself out to greater and, and lesser degrees according to the extent to which Jesus is honoured within that society. So there are stories of when... Um, uh, what's, the, what's the River by Tintin Abbey? The River Wye, yeah. The River Wye, of when um, you know, there, was a, there was a time when there was one particular area where there were, uh, there were ten brothels. And then the Moravians came to town, and and, and after um, a few years of prayer, all the, all the brothels all the brothels shut down, and everyone had come to the Lord. So we acknowledge our brokenness, but we we do know that actually Jesus is the is the one who steps in, who who when he is acknowledged and followed, he begins to bring wholeness and healing and reconciliation and peace, and and the brokenness of society begins to um, be made more whole. In Him, so yeah. I think we just we want to hold hold that out for us that that actually it's not surprising that a society that's turning its back on Jesus is becoming less and less functional um, in in its um, ethics. And actually, what's what we're hearing, what we heard in the first few minutes of this podcast today, was the competing values <clears throat> of the world in which we live and how those competing values just end up kind of, almost it's almost like they're eating each other. So, so I, every culture has its kind of thing, as it were. Yeah. And I think our culture is obsessed with identity mm. and our freedom to determine our identity. Mm. So actually, there's, you know, there's a famous story of the, uh, the, the, the lady in America who was outed for not being black and they interviewed her parents who were white middle class, mm. but she had chosen to identify as black. Yeah. Um, so our, our, our culture is obsessed with identity and obsessed with the freedom yeah. for you to determine your own identity. Yeah. Unfortunately, what our culture also has alongside that is an inability to put its hand up and to recognise when logic isn't being applied. So we've say so let's use in COVID, we've all been told we've been following the science, we've been very rational about yeah. stuff. But we live in a culture where the British Parliament can talk about pack, passing an act in which octopuses are protected because they, because they sense pain. An unborn child in the womb senses pain. Yeah. But we, won't even, we, we don't even go near the fact that that should break our hearts and shouldn't make any sense. Yeah. So, so for example, uh, it, um, well, we were talking about it. So, so gender dysphoria me- is a m- medically recognised condition. Yeah. It happens to be an incredibly rare yeah. condition. It happens to be traditionally something that wasn't really, uh, would never be dealt with in a minor. Yeah. It had, you know, it was in adulthood. And it was something that uh, the transition from, you know, one gender to another 
and, and maybe through, through, through gender reassignment surgery, was a very long process to make sure that this was the right thing to do. So I remember when, um, when I was a student, the door, in my hall, uh, the door in my room in my first year hall of residence broke and the, the, the maintenance guys came around and one of them was mid-transition and he was in the stage where he was living as a woman but he still mm -hmm. was definitely a man. And, and he was kind of well known around um, mm -hmm. uh, college. So this, so this kind of like this, this lady with a perm and pearl earrings and, uh, and a necklace, but also wearing a boiler suit, turned up to like mm -hmm. fix my door. Yeah. And, you know, but actually that was part of that process. Yeah. Uh, whereas now we live in a world where if you decide it, you can just go and start living it out. And, you know. And what we said before we came on air was that there's that passage in Matthew 19, just after Jesus mm. talks about divorce. Is it 18 or 19? I can't remember. Look it up. Um, and, and he says that some are given to be married and others not, and he, he, he references eunuchs. And so that there's, a, there's a sense in which that passage is Jesus' recognition that um, the simplicity of Genesis, which we'll come to in a moment, uh, has to be held in tension with the recognition that humanity has fallen and all sexuality is broken, as you just said earlier, and that, and that within that then there is a brokenness around gender identity. And, and whilst some of that brokenness is going to get healed in the context of Jesus, and there are plenty of stories of that today, we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And our culture has so made sexual, not, not freedom, the right to be sexually active and to sexually express yourself, a key part of your identity, that, that, that it doesn't actually, in our culture, you can't say, do you know, it's okay for me to recognise that how I handle anger is broken and needs to be mm. redeemed and changed, or how I handle disappointment is broken and needs to be changed, mm. or, uh, you know, like when we were young parents, you know, my desire to pretend to be asleep mm. is broken and needs to be changed. I can say that, but if I say mm. my sexuality is broken and will need redeeming mm. in some form or another, that is like, whoa, because, yeah. like, because in, our, in our culture, the right for me to be able to experience and express myself sexually is rooted in my identity. The reason is, as if we go back to Genesis, because it's actually because sexuality is good and is from God and is a signpost to what, God's love is like, and what our, and 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 how we how we either love physically or actually don't love physically says something about the nature of God and actually how amazing and wonderful He is. And so, therefore, it's it's it totally makes sense from a Christian perspective that in a world that's forgotten God, that the gift that He has given, either to be used and not used, interestingly enough, to express His glory and how amazing He is, and to point towards intimacy with Him we then make the big thing for how we understand who we are. So let's get to Genesis. Go for it. Because I think this, this, this is a really, really complex issue. And in, in conversation with anyone, we need to understand it. It's, we don't have to understand everything about it. We don't have to pretend that we're medical ethicists, but we do need to recognise that it's a really complex issue. And it's one in which people are, um, are deeply broken. But the simplicity that we can bring um, emerges in, in the first verses of the Bible where it says that God created them male and female. And, and so as Christians, we understand that gender is given, not chosen. And so when we, when we enter into these conversations with people, 
just a starter to get people thinking would be to say to them, well, do you think that gender is given or chosen? And, and what that flushes out is, is a distinction between how we come to ethics. So actually, we are, as Christians, we believe that, that God is the source of our ethics. And, and therefore, we're going to come to a different conclusion to people who simply think that we're evolving and therefore we can choose what is best and right, or who don't know whether they believe in God or not. And so we'll choose a different starting point for their ethics. They might say pleasure is the most important thing, or whatever makes you happy, or, or as you've observed about our generation, whatever keeps us in relationship with our children um, is the most important thing because we, we can't handle their rejection. That question flushes out people's starting point. And I don't think we should be afraid of those starting points um, because it, it gives us a safe um, space to be able to acknowledge our differences, um, which are apparently things that we can respect. And I think one of the major difficulties when we talk about this issue is it links into desire. So, for example, so much about us is, is received. So we're sat in my garden, I'm sat in the sun, and you're <laughs> sat in the shade, because even though I'm blonde, I've got more olivey skin than you, and yeah. <clears throat> I've had hair. <laughs> now, you could choose to identify as somebody with a full head of hair and dark Italian-type skin yes, and sit in the sun, and, but it wouldn't work. But the interesting thing, and then I could say, and that's just like yeah. um, sexual identity, but it's not, because actually, knowing you, you have no desire to sit in the sun. No. So, so this is the other thing, is we are dealing with our deep desires. And so it's not that we are saying, oh, I think I might um, want to explore this thing sexually or this uh, gender identity or whatever it might be. It is our desires. And so therefore, when we come, one of the hardest things, I think, in terms of coming face-to-face with the love of God and with the need for Jesus, it is that recognition that some of our desires, no matter how fundamental they feel to who we are, need reordering. You, might, you might say I'm sounding like Augustine again. I, I think you are, but I'm, I'm also <laughs> going to say that I think this is something that we're going to cover in our next episode of More TV, because I think, as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, that's a really good topic. We haven't got time to talk about that now. No. Um, so... Um, uh, we hope that we have helped you to think... Oh, we hope that we've made some sense. <laughs> <laughs> ...around um, transgender issues. We want to recognise that um, God loves everyone. No one is outside the love of God. We also want to recognise the transforming and redeeming work of Jesus who comes into our brokenness and by his grace makes us more whole. And we want to commend to you both the, the recognition of the brokenness of gender thinking um, that Jesus acknowledges in, in Matthew, but above that, um, actually, that, that he, is, he is interpreting that in the light of Genesis, that God made them male and female, and that from a Christian viewpoint we see that gender is given, not chosen. Um, but we recognise that we live in a world that thinks very differently. Thanks for listening. <laughs>